0: The following message is brought to you by George Lawson Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak.
1: Why don't you take your Bibles and open up to the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 6 today for this Lord's Day, and uh, we'll finally get Daniel out of the lion's den uh, today. Uh, The last time we were able to rescue Daniel from the children's books, and uh, this time uh, we'll see him finally get out of the the lion's den. And I want to remind you of what we reminded you of last time, that the point, the main point of this story is what comes at the end of the story. And I just want to remind you of what it says again, Daniel chapter 6, if you'll take a look at verse 25, Daniel chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Why don't you follow with me as I read? It says, Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who are living in all the land, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, we are so grateful for your word. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand the, the great themes of your word and the focus of this chapter, now, that it's, it's not focused on Daniel, even though Daniel is the major character here, Lord, that the, the greatest person that we should be focusing on here is the living God, the one who endures forever, the one whose kingdom will not be destroyed, the one whose dominion will be forever, the one who delivers The one who performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Father, I pray that we would afresh have a vision of who our great God is. Through this chapter, we pray. And I pray that you'd use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned to you the last time, the focus of this chapter is not Daniel's example. It's not Daniel's faith. It's not Daniel's courage. The main focus of this chapter is Daniel's God men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. And Darius didn't walk away saying, wow, what a man. Wow, let me me talk more about who this Daniel is. He, He walked away saying, wow, what a God. And we should fear him. And if I could put it simply, a God who is not worth fearing is not worth following. A God who is not worth fearing is not worth following. What do I mean by that? If there is some other God out there who is more terrifying, more awe-inspiring, more glorious than your God, Then you should follow Him? What sense would it make to sacrifice your life for a God who does not win in the end? Honestly, it would be uh, pretty tough to convince me to, to fight for a God who's a loser, you know, the biggest loser. That's essentially what Elijah told the prophets of Baal, remember that? On the top of Mount Carmel. He says, "'If the Lord is God, follow Him.'" But if Baal is God, then follow him. I mean, if Baal is more powerful than the God of, of Israel, then you need to be following after him instead. He's in control of the skies. If he can answer by fire, then, then sign me up. I'll follow after him because he then is the true God. But let's do away with this nonsense that there can be you know, two almighties. Find out who the true God is and follow after him. One of these gods is going to lose and one of these gods is going to win. And if you're going to stand in a den of lions, you need to know that you're on the winning side. There is no more, no one who is more terrifying, more awe-inspiring, and more glorious than your God. And there's only one God who's worthy to be feared, and only one God who is worthy to be followed. We need to enlarge our vision of God, and that's what this book of Daniel helps us to do. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background, Daniel wrote to a group of Jews who were in exile. Under Gentile domination, they were without a king, they were without a land. Essentially, they were like without hope. And Daniel reminds them that there is a God in heaven who is in control of absolutely everything. There's a God in heaven who does whatever he pleases. He is sovereign. And even in this foreign land, there's a God who's still in charge. There's a God who's still on top. They need to be reminded of that uh, because if you have a, a small and a weak view of God, you're not going to be able to stand in the day of adversity. And this is an interesting side note uh, that in the chapters to follow, and I'm I'm excited as I'm anticipating it and getting into chapter 7 and the rest of the book of, of Daniel, and I know some of you are as well, in the chapters to follow, Daniel is allowed to peer into the future and to prophesy to a future generation and remind them of the same thing that he's reminding this generation of, that there there is a God who wins in the end, It might look bad, it might look like we're on the losing side, but if you're following the sovereign God, you will not lose. And there's actually no more perfect book to speak about the end times than the book of Daniel. Because the same thing that we see acted out in history is what repeats itself in the future. And the parallels are amazing between the past and the the future, utterly amazing. Just as the kings of Babylon acted arrogantly, boasted of their great strength, There is going to be a ruler who will arise, who will boast of great things about his strength in the future, according to Daniel. Just as it appeared that no one could be delivered from the hand of the Babylonian or the Medo-Persian kings, in the future, it will appear that no one can be delivered from the grip of a future king, a future ruler and world dictator. And just as the kings of the past were crushed and made to recognize that heaven rules, so will there be a future king who will be crushed And made to recognize that heaven rules. There are all kinds of parallels between the past and the the future. And there's, like I said, I'm just anticipating jumping into chapter 7 and what follows. We're looking forward to getting into that. But So you can fasten your seatbelts and prepare yourself. But what I'm saying here is that if Satan wins, in the end, we're on the wrong team. And for a period of time, it looks like Satan is winning. It may even look like that, that now as you look around the, the culture, the nation that we live in, the attacks against Christianity. You know, it seems that we're losing the, you know, the culture, war. But the point that Daniel drives home is that God wins. You're on the right side. If you're, if you're following the true God, you're on the right side. And it doesn't matter what the scoreboard is saying. God wins in the end, and he alone is worthy to be feared. He sits in the heavens His sovereignty rules over all, and he does whatever he pleases. And that's the kind of confidence that Daniel wants to give us. And the last time that we were here together, we began to look at five results of fearing a sovereign God. Five results of fearing a sovereign God. Number one, if you fear a sovereign God, your life doesn't blend in. In uh, verses 1 through 5, Daniel doesn't blend in with the rest of the governing officials, the commissioners, the satraps. It said in verse 3 that this Daniel began distinguishing himself. He was different than everybody else. He maintained this superior work ethic, impeccable character, and the fear of man doesn't produce that. You know, the, the, the desire to please men doesn't produce that. That's, that's what the fear of God produces. So he, he worked in a way that was in direct relation to the God that he feared, the God that he served. And because of that, he distinguished himself in, uh, and among his peers. So if you fear a sovereign God, your life doesn't blend in. Daniel stood out for a reason. You know, these uh, commissioners and satraps, they wanted to attack him for a reason because he's not like us. He's different than us. Daniel doesn't blend in. And if you fear a sovereign God, your life will not blend in. Number two, if you fear a sovereign God, your integrity doesn't bend over. We learned about that in verses 6 to 9. In contrast to Daniel's consistency of character and his firm resolve, You have this group of governors who lack integrity, a king who lacks humility. The governors give in to falsehood, and the the king gives in to flattering. And they come up with this ridiculous idea of making Darius a god for a month. You know, how how ridiculous is that? How bad does your theology need to be if you think you can make somebody a god for a month? And how much worse is your theology if he's only a god for a month? You know, it's like at the end of the month, it, it expires. You know, what kind of god is that? But here, here they go. They, they give in you know, to this falsehood and the king gives in to the flattery. You know, Instead of being the employee for the, the month, he's the God for the month. Can you believe that? But none of these commissioners would come up with this ridiculous idea if they truly feared God. And the king wouldn't give in to this if he truly feared God. It's like, what, what, kind, what kind of nonsense is that that I could be a God for a month? Who do, you think, who do you think you are? Who do you think I am? Who do you think God is? But here they count on this plan that the king is going to give into this because, you know, who doesn't want to be like God? I mean, that's the, the first temptation in the garden, isn't it? You know, that you can become like God. You can be like God. So here the king gives into it. And think about this. Their whole plan hinges on the fact that Daniel is not like them. You know, that even though we come up with this plan that, you know, Darius is the only one to be prayed to for a month, that we know that there's one person who won't cave in. There's, there's one person whose integrity doesn't bend and that's Daniel. He can't refrain from praying for a month. He can't refrain from praying for a day. He's going to be consistent. He's not like the rest of us, and indeed he wasn't. I pray that we're not like the rest of the men around us, that, that we're the people that, that we couldn't live. We'd rather die than to live without prayer. <laughs> We'd rather die than to live without our devotion to our God. That's the kind of people that we need to be, and uh, last time we left off at our third point If you fear a sovereign God, your character doesn't buckle under. You know, to buckle means to to give way, to crumble. You know, often you hear somebody say that, you know, something buckled under the weight. Something got too heavy to hold up anymore. And Daniel is under this tremendous amount of pressure to buckle. But it didn't matter what kind of pressure Daniel was under. He wasn't going to buckle under the weight, even if it meant death. Take a look at verse 10, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says now when Daniel knew that the document was signed... He entered his house, now in his roof chamber. He had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. The roof chamber, an upper room of the the roof. It's a flat surface, typically not much more than six feet above ground. Above the main floor where people in the, the Near East would go to retire, uh, the roof chamber was the cooler part of the house, and it's where they would sleep or allow guests to sleep if they visited. Essentially, this is like a bedroom. The windows that were there, it's not like the, you know, the glass windows that, that we think of, it's uh, simply an opening in the wall and, uh, you know, kind of wood lattice that would be placed uh, over that, that opening, thin strips of wood that would prevent the sun from coming in but still allow the cool breezes to, to pass through the house. And this lattice provided a, a measure of, of privacy. You couldn't really see through the, through the lattice what people were doing on the inside. But Daniel wasn't private about his devotion. Here he is on the roof chamber, and instead of leaving the, the lattice shut, leaving the, the window shut, he flings it open. I'm going to do just, I mean, I've always done this before. I always pray outside on my deck. You know, I've always prayed in my bedroom with the windows open. I'm, I'm not going to stop now. I'm going to be consistent. He was consistent. Both his posture and his words made it abundantly clear that he was engaged in the activity of prayer. And as I said last time, it's not like he's parading his defiance of the king. This wasn't some kind of public protest. Oh, you're going to stop me from praying? Well, let me throw open my windows and show you. That's not what he's doing. He's just doing what he's always done. I'm not changing anything. I'm just following my normal practice as I had been doing previously. Daniel maintained this consistency of character before God, continued to express his devotion to God in the way that he always had. And that's a a great lesson here for all of us. Do we change what we've always taught because now all of a sudden it's not popular in the culture anymore? Because people want to cancel us, you know, for what we say now? Are we going to change? How about when it becomes unlawful Certain sections of the Bible become unlawful. Are are we now going to change that? Well, let let me skip over that because, you know, that might actually get me in trouble. They might pull my YouTube page down if I say that. Times have changed, right? But Daniel says, I'm not going to be inconsistent. I'm going to do what I've always done. I'm going to say the same thing that I've said before. I'm going to pray the same way that I've prayed before. I'm still devoted to God like I was before. That's, That's where we need to be. There is no command here to face Jerusalem in prayer. Uh, facing Jerusalem was a, a practice started by King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh, 1 Kings 8, we find the story of Solomon dedicating the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, 1 Kings eight thirty, Solomon says, Listen to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. Hear and forgive. It was a, a recognition of the temple that dwelt there, of God who demonstrated his, his strength there. But there was no command to pray facing Jerusalem. You know, even Solomon recognizes that this, this building can't contain God. I mean, what kind of building could you build that's large enough to contain God? God's not just going to be here. He's everywhere. You know, as magnificent as this building is, it's not going to contain him. Even in his prayer, he recognizes that. First Kings eight twenty seven. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I've built. So it's not about the direction that we face physically. It's about the posture of our hearts. And God didn't close his ears to prayers that weren't, you know, didn't have the face, you know, somebody didn't have the compass out to know which, which direction is the, the temple in. You know, God didn't reject their prayers. But this was Daniel's, you know, demonstration of his faith in God, that I trust in the God who is faithful to his covenant, God who is faithful to his people. And I'm going to, to open up my windows and face their It outwardly demonstrated his allegiance to the God of of Israel. There's also no command to pray three times a day. David gives us that example in Psalm 55, verse 17, where he says, evening and morning and noon, he will hear my voice. That was David's practice. Evening, morning, noon. You know, three times a day, God is going to hear from me. This would have been David's way to acknowledge that God's Lordship is over the entirety of my day. So, every part of my day, I'm going to, to pray to Him. But there's no command that we would pray three times a day. There's also no command that we would kneel when we pray. But Daniel externally did what his heart was doing internally. In his heart, he recognized that even though he had a high position in the kingdom, he had a low position before God. So, so he kneels, he gets low before God. And this was his normal practice. I'm going to face towards Jerusalem, recognizing the faithfulness of my God. I'm going to pray three times a day, recognizing that God is Lord over every part of my day. And I'm going to kneel before him to show the the humility of my heart before him, that you are the God who is above me. It doesn't matter what position I have. I know who's above me. And this was his normal practice. And Daniel could have come up with all kinds of excuses not to do what he's always done. I mean, you know, maybe avoid the death sentence. Maybe that's a reason to stop doing what i've been doing and we could come up with all kinds of ways to avoid you know the attention of the government you know maybe i'll just have my uh my quiet time you know later on tonight you know like really after it gets dark nobody can see me i'll i'll pray then you know with the covers over my face so nobody can even see my mouth moving you know maybe i'll do that maybe, maybe uh I, I won't make it so obvious that i'm worshiping i mean god knows i mean doesn't god know my thoughts Right? I mean, the, the, you know, let my, the, the thoughts of my heart, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in my sight, oh God. He knows what I'm thinking. Why do, I have to, why do I have to say it out loud? You know, maybe I can just do it in my heart. But if he decided to change anything at this point, hear me, if he decided to change anything, who would that say he really feared? It would say that he really feared Darius. He really feared the government. Like, uh, no, I'm not going to do what I've always done because somehow... This government is going to to outpower my God. And I need to be devoted to what they say. He says, I'm going to maintain a consistency of character before God. It doesn't matter what the king is saying. He also maintained a consistency of character before his enemies. Look at verse 11. It says, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And there's no way that Daniel didn't see this coming. He, He knew that the decree was signed. He knew why the decree was signed this is about me. It's an, it's an attack. And he's not ignorant of his enemies. He, he knew that they would be around to spy on him, even creeping outside of his residence. This window is open. Like I said, the, uh, the, the roof chamber was probably only six feet up from the ground. And this large assembly comes. You know, the word that's uh, used for uh, uh, these men coming by agreement, that word for agreement can be uh, translated as a tumult, an uproar, a commotion. So here he is. He's you know, in his roof chamber and down right below him, you've got this huge commotion going on, this tumult. All these men have gathered together by agreement. He knows where they are. And he's going to do what he's going to do anyway. So here he does it in the face of his enemies. You know, kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of his enemies, he's going to pray. I, I saw a recent, uh, recent meme and... Uh, that was sent to us by our, our speaker and uh, it had a, a picture of a soldier with a, you know, a sword kind of you know, stuck in the ground and you know he's bowed down and then the caption said, uh, the, the devil saw me bow my head and thought that he'd won until he heard me say amen. <laughs> Here he is, he's in prayer. I, and I'm not gonna change because of the enemy outside. I'm gonna continue to pray. I know what they're doing. I know that they're after me. But I'm going to continue to pray. He does it in the face of his enemies. And here his enemies no doubt think that they've got him. We've got him. Can't wait to tell the king. Look at verse 12. Then they approached and spoke before the king and the king's injunction. So here they go to report to the king. You know, the minions are out. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? Didn't Didn't you... Didn't she write that, king? You know, here the king must be feeling pretty good about himself. Yeah, that, that was me. That, that was me. Yeah, I, I did write that into law. They play it off as if they're, they're really in, in favor of the king. The king replied, The statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Yeah, it's one of those laws that we can't change. we signed it into law. This is, this is firm. Look at what they say in verse 13. Then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petitions three times a day. They weren't really worried about the king. And now the king recognizes that he's been trapped. He keeps making this petition three times a day. This Daniel, this this exile from Judah, and here you find the you know, the, the ethnic, you know, um, uh, kind of uh, uh, persecution that's happening as well. One of those exiles. He's not even one of us. One of those exiles from, from Judah. The king had a, had a love for Daniel. We'll find that out later on in verse 14 when it says, Then as soon as the king heard the statement, he was deeply distressed and had set his mind on delivering Daniel. The king had a, an, for, an affection for, for Daniel. But now it's beyond his control. The last thing that the king wanted to do was to feed Daniel to the lions. And maybe the leaders knew this. Obviously, the leaders knew this, which is why they wanted him to write into a law, a law that couldn't be changed. Because once you we, once we figure out it's Daniel, you're going to want to change this thing. But now the king has been trapped by his own words. And if the king could have freed Daniel, he would have freed Daniel. And uses every available means in his power to, to reverse it. He's deeply distressed. He set his mind on delivering Daniel. He used all of his time, even till sunset, to free Daniel. He used all of his energy. He's exerting himself to free Daniel, using every possible resource he had. And the counselors at the end say, "Uh, uh, there's no way out, king. So he's gone from being a a god for the month to being a fool in a day. And it's a bold move by these governors to use the king against the king. He's manipulated, and now he has to execute a friend, somebody that he actually wanted to keep around, somebody that he recognizes the the first among all of his helpers. Think about this from the perspective of of Daniel. To refuse to give Darius this honor could have been taken as an insult. So we know that Daniel was consistent before his enemies, but he's also consistent before his friends, The, the people that actually had an affection for him. He's consistent before his friends, which is actually... For most of us, probably one of the harder things to do. You know, sometimes it's easy to to share truth with somebody that you don't have an ongoing relationship with. It's like, I'll share the truth with you, and if you don't like it, you know, okay. You know, I'll I'll see you. You know, I don't have to deal with you. It's a lot harder when it's a friend that we're sharing with. Why? Because now there's the risk of losing that relationship. That's one of the reasons why for for many of us it's so hard to to witness to family, isn't it? It's like because we, we love our family. You know, you, you don't want to offend your family. But now you're the same person that now has to speak truth to your family. You know, the people that you love the, the most, you love the deepest. But now it seems as if you've turned against your family because you're standing on truth. It's the same thing that the Jesus talks about. Matthew chapter 10 speaks about that. Talks about the, the father against the, the son. Like, that, that happens within a family relationship. Not because you want to distance yourself from them, but because truth divides. And we have to stand on the truth. Even if it seems like we're insulting the people that we love the most. And here, Daniel had to stand up against the king, who actually has an affection and a love for Daniel. But He says, king, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I've, I've got to stand on the truth. So now, he stands and he's consistent even in the face of a friend. And again, if you have a fear of God more than losing a relationship, your character doesn't buckle. Underneath the the mounting pressure, you don't buckle under the weight. This is character. What kind of conviction do you have? What kind of convictions do do you have? Would somebody have to take away your life first before you gave up your devotion to the Lord? Can you say with Daniel, you'll have to take my life before you'll take my prayers? If you fear a sovereign God, you'll stand up, even in the face of friends, family, family enemies, before the Lord you'll stand. Number four, if you fear a sovereign God, your faith doesn't break down. Look at verse 16. It says, then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den, and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. These men who came around the king verse 15 it says they came by agreement to the king and said to the king recognize O king you better recognize that it is the law of the medes and the persians no injunction or statue which the king establishes may be changed you've got to throw them in got to throw them in and again if you fear a sovereign god your faith doesn't break down so they they went through with it king gave the orders he had to give the orders He was underneath the the law. Like I said, that was one of the differences between Babylon and Medo-Persia. Babylon, the king, could make the law. Medo-Persia, the king, was under the law. He says, I've got to to carry it out. Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. Let me tell you a little bit about the lion's den. The, The Persians regarded fire as sacred. They were Zoroastrians and would not have used it for a punishment. They would have uh, seen it as wrong to cremate, to burn people into ashes as the Babylonians did. The lions, on the other hand, were used for sport. They, they would have had no problem sentencing an enemy to death by lions. Lions were regarded as the royal beast of Babylon, also of uh, Persia. The walls of Babylon, actually, in a, uh, when they are excavated, you could actually see lions you know, on the, 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 the walls themselves. Pictures of lions pacing back and forth. Until the 1300s, it was common to find lions in this area, and uh, the Persians would hunt for them as well as capture them for fun. Lions would be captured with nets, trapped in pits, taken to these large caves or dens for the amusement of people. And archaeologists have actually found these lions dens in Asia and northwestern uh, Africa, which were made from underground caves. You know, so listen to this one description of a lion's den. It says, they consist of a large square cavern under the earth, having a partition wall in the middle of it, which is furnished with a door which the keeper can open and close from above. So just picture it. It's a, you know, a large cave. It's got, you know, an entrance, you know, into it from the side. And it also has an entrance from the top. It's got a hole in the top, you know, so they can, you know, put a, put a stone over the, the entrance. And it's a large cave where they put a wall in between. Why would they put the wall? You know, so you could open up the the side, and get in without the, the lions getting into you because they're on the other side, you know, on the other side of this, this gate. You know, so what they would do is they'd have this opening that had a partition, you know, a gate in between. They'd put the food on one side, the lions on the other side, and uh, when they were ready, they'd lift up the gate and let the lions at it. And that's what they did with Daniel. Put Daniel in you know, on the one side, lions on the other side, and lift up the gate to let the lions after him. The cavern was open, open mouth surrounded by a wall uh, over which one can look down into the den. So that's the picture. Opening on the top, opening on the side, put Daniel in, seal the, the cave, put the seal on it, and then lift up the gate and let the lions at him. Two chambers. And after the entrance was locked, the stole was rolled over, dinner was served. There was no way for the prisoner to physically escape. The cave walls would be too high to climb, Stone would be too heavy to move. The lines would be too powerful to overcome. There's no way legally to extricate yourself because after the stone was set in place, the clay or wax was placed on the stone where the stone met the cave, and the signet ring was, with the special king's mark, was placed on it, and his nobles came behind it to kind of confirm it. So there's no way to get out physically. There's no way to get out legally, and it's important to catch this here. His trust in God did not guarantee that he would make it out of the den. (laughs) Did you get that? If you fear a sovereign God, your faith doesn't break, even though you don't know what the future holds. God, I I don't know what the future holds, but I know what your word says, right? I've got to follow your word. So whether Daniel made it out or not is not the point. His faith remained firm because he trusted in a sovereign God, a God who is in control of the lines and the circumstances that you find yourself in. He places himself in the the hands of the Lord. And this is what we find here. Verse 17, a stone was brought, laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. How was the king's night? Not, not too good. <laughs> not too good. No foods brought before him. You know, how can I eat with Daniel down there? No distractions. How can I entertain myself with any music dancing? His sleep fled from him. He has little hope of Daniel being alive the next day. And the trouble in his voice showed that he didn't have much hope the next day when he, when he comes to, to cry out for Daniel. It says in verse 19, Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day, went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? So we see that his words that he spoke earlier when he says, Your God will deliver you weren't words that were filled with faith. Your God will deliver you. And then the next day with a trembling voice, has your God been able to deliver you? He didn't really believe it. He had had a weak faith. He's not prepared at all for what he's about to hear. Look at verse 21. It says, Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. So Daniel's... Daniel uh, slept like a baby while the king is up all night. Angels shows up, as frequently happens in the book of Daniel, in the furnace and visions. And here this angelic being ministers protection to Daniel, shutting the mouths of the lions, which is incredible. And it had to be more than just the lions' mouths that were shut. It's also their their paws that had to be tamed. (laughs) Listen to this description. The forebody of a lion is very powerfully built, has the greatest four-body strength of any cat except possibly the tiger. This enables the lion to deliver blows with its forepaws heavy enough to break a zebra's back. Each toe is equipped with very sharp retractable claws. The claw of a large lion can be one and a half inches or more. You know, spikes <laughs> on the end of his paws and he's got enough strength to break a zebra's back with his paw. To survive all night in a den of lions was clearly a work of God. And the king is so excited, he doesn't even waste time to coax the lions back on the other side of the, you know, the enclosure. You know, what he does is he, you know, sends down something to kind of pull and hoist Daniel up. Look, look what it says here. Verse 21, the king, uh, Daniel spoke to the king. O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel. Shut the lions' mouths and have not harmed me. Inasmuch as I was found innocent before him and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out. Remember there was a, the hole at the top? He's taken up out, not out the side. He's taken up out of the, the top of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel's deliverance is a vindication of his innocence before the king. For Daniel to survive was uh, proof that Daniel was, not, was, uh, was innocent. He had committed no crime against the king. The king examines him. There's no scratch on Daniel. Amazing. His deliverance is also a vindication of his trust in God before his enemies. You know, if he died in the den, his enemies might have been left with the impression that they outsmarted Daniel and his God. But God vindicated him before his enemies as well. And uh, believer, if you trust in God, your day of vindication will come. (laughs) Your day of vindication will come. You know, all those that that attack you now, that criticize you now, that, that heap persecution upon you now, one day your day will come when it will be proven that it was worth it to trust in God. It's worth it to trust in God. Romans chapter 9, verse 33, it says, just as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed if your trust is in God. Remember, like I said, God wins in the end. God wins in the end. Your faith doesn't have to break down if you trust in a God who doesn't break down, right? We don't, we're not going to be disappointed in the end. There will come a day of vindication. We don't know if we'll be rescued from every lion's den, but we do know that we'll be rescued in the end, right? We, we have a faith that doesn't have to, to break down. So if you fear a sovereign God, your life doesn't blend in, your integrity doesn't bend over, your character doesn't buckle under, your faith doesn't break down, and here's the last one, your light doesn't blow out. Look at verse 24. It says, the king then gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them, their children, their wives, into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. There, there are some commentators who try to say that, you know, the, yeah, yeah, Daniel was placed into the lion's den, but the lions really weren't hungry. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? So here, here it is, before the, the, the meal even makes its way down to the bottom of the den, the lions are just tossing the, the bones, you know, just breaking the bones of every one of these, you know, accusers as they're coming down into the den. No, the, these, these lions were ready to eat. <laughs> they're ready to eat. And feasting on these, who made a fool out of the king and attacked Daniel. And the contrast between the end of Daniel's life and the end of these accusers' life, can it be more more stark. Look at verse 25, then Darius the king wrote to all the people's nations, men of every language who are living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the kingdom of my, all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. There's a contrast here between the end of the enemies and the end of, of Daniel. These enemies tossed in, they don't come through the side entrance, they come through the top. Not only were the enemies thrown in, but their families were thrown in as well. The whole families wiped out for this one. Just a, a point of application. Uh, men, you are responsible for your families. <laughs> and the, the way that you go will affect your families. You don't sin in isolation from the rest of those around you. Those that you love will, will get taken into your sins as well. And you need to be, be mindful of that. Whole family's wiped out for this one. Often in Persian law, the head of the household, if he broke a law, the whole family suffered for it. And there were several reasons for that in Persian law. It was a more intense and severe judgment. It's like, I'm not just going to punish you, I'm punishing everybody. That's, that's a severe judgment. Prevented the children from growing up to avenge the father. It's like, Junior, don't, you know, you're not going to come back later on. You're going into... <laughs> Nobody's going to come back and avenge the death of the father. The whole family's going down. And families were often thought, thought to be part of the plan or at least compliant with it. You know, you had to know something about what was going on over here. So the whole family was in on it and we're never given the names of Daniel's accusers. All of their lines have been wiped out, but Daniel's name is what stands at the end. And what's Daniel's in? He enjoys success and favor under the reign of, of two kings, Darius and Cyrus, in verse 28. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Cyrus and in the reign of um, uh, in the reign of Darius and of, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And we're left with this enduring testimony that, that he had trusted in his God, even, even in the face of death. Even if he was torn apart by the lines, it still would have been an example of faith in God. You know, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down like that. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I like what Paul said, Acts twenty twenty four. but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of his grace. I don't count my life as, as dear to myself. What, I, what I'm most concerned about is that I finish the race, that I finish the course that God has given me, that I'm faithful to him, devoted to him. Later on, Paul said this in Acts 21, 13, when uh, uh, the Holy Spirit indicated uh, what kind of death he might die or how he would be be, uh, taken into custody in uh, Acts 21. And Paul answered this to the the prophets that spoke to him. He says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? (laughs) For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die. I'm ready to die at Jerusalem. I'm not just ready to be bound. I'm ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. He was ready to to, to commit himself even in the face of affliction. And that's the kind of enduring testimony that, that we need to have that we fear a sovereign God. Your life doesn't blend in, your integrity doesn't bend over, character doesn't buckle under, faith doesn't break down and your light doesn't blow out. You have an enduring testimony. And these are the results of fearing a sovereign God. And like I said, the, the whole point of Daniel is not Daniel's example, his faith, his courage, it's Daniel's God. And King Darius walks away from the lion's den with a very different message than most of us walk away from Daniel and the lion's den with. And just, just briefly, I want to examine his uh, response with you because in verses 25 to 27, uh, Darius composes a letter to the entire kingdom that captures what he learned from Daniel in the lion's den. This, this is the second example that we have in Daniel of a, a pagan king uh, declaring truth contained in Scripture. The first was Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter uh, 4, and now it's Darius. But whether Darius became a believer here in the true God or not, we're not told. But this is, this is impressive, Okay. What he's about to say is impressive. A short letter, right to the point, powerfully demonstrating seven reasons to fear Daniel's God. Seven reasons to fear Daniel's God. That's what he says. May may your peace abound, he says in verse 25. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Four, that four is saying, now I'm going to give you the reasons why we need to fear and tremble before Daniel. The God of Daniel, and he gives us at least seven reasons to fear God. I'm not sure if you, uh, you pulled all of these out when you watched VeggieTales, but here they are. Seven reasons to fear God. Number one, Daniel's God is the living God. Daniel's God is the living God. He says in verse 26, for he is the living God. God's active hand in shutting the lion's mouths convinced Darius that God is alive. <laughs> He's the living God. In contrast to the dead, mute, deaf, inactive idols of Babylon and Persia, God was obviously at work. And Darius has never seen the gods of Persia come close to what Daniel's God was able to accomplish. One thing that was clear to Darius is that this God is a living God. He's alive. What else did he get from this? He's enduring forever. He is a living God and enduring forever. He is the eternal God. He's the eternal God. He reasoned that if God is this powerful and active, he is in, he's never in danger of going out of existence. This is the God who lives forever. This is the eternal, unending God. He's eternal. Number three, He's the unchanging God. Verse 26 again. It says, His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His kingdom's not going to be destroyed. He, th- this is an unchanging kingdom. The, the kingdom of God is like this, could never be destroyed, because God can never be destroyed. He's enduring forever, and His kingdom endures forever. He reasoned that God will never change. Theologians call that the immutability of God. God does not change. What else did he understand? The Daniel's God is the sovereign God. His dominion will be forever, verse 26. He's the God who reigns. Not, not only is his kingdom forever, but he will be in charge of his kingdom forever. A God like this has no rivals. His dominion or authority or sovereignty is unchallenged. It's unsurpassed. What else did he understand? Daniel's God is the delivering God. He delivers and rescues, verse 27. He delivers and rescues. He delivered and rescued Daniel, Was obvious. But Darius says here that this is just who this God is. He is a deliverer. He is a rescuer. Another way way that you can say that is he is a savior. This is a savior. That is who this God is. This God is also the powerful God. Look at verse 27 again. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders. To close the mouths of, of lions was a, a mighty act. And Darius just says that this is just true of who God is. If, if he can do this, this is the powerful God. He saw one sign and wonder. And he says, this is just characteristic of God, that he performs signs and wonders. In the plural, he is a wonder-working God. Number seven, what else do we know about this God? Verse 27, Daniel's God is the universal God. He does this in heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. The last thing that Darius says is that if God's, if Daniel's God has this kind of power on earth, he obviously holds this kind of power in heaven. This is the God who's over the heaven and the earth. This is the God that is demonstrated for us in Daniel chapter 6. Is that what you typically get out of Daniel in the lion's den? <laughs> you know, You know, our application is, you know, where's God when I'm afraid, you know? You know, the the, the application is, who's afraid of my God? (laughs) This, This is the God that you tremble before. This is the God that you fear. Why should we fear God? Because he's the living God, the eternal God, the unchanging God, the sovereign God, the delivering God, the powerful God, the universal God. The God of Daniel is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do not know Jesus Christ today... You don't need to be delivered from the mouth of a lion. You need to be delivered from God. <laughs> you need to be delivered from God. Matthew 10 and verse 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God's fury against sin is infinitely worse than being tossed into a lion's den. And that's Darius' point here. This is a God that I need to fear and tremble before. This is a God that you need to fear and tremble before. If God can do this, what can he do with me? I need to fear this God. You don't mess with the God like this. Don't be found on the wrong side of the sovereign God. And you need to flee, and the only place to flee from him is to him. You flee to him. That's the only place of safety. The only place of safety is to turn to this God. Turn to the God that you need to fear and tremble before. Is this the kind of God that's being presented in our churches today? You know, a God that that I need to to fear and tremble before? You know, all across our land, there's many churches that present God as just kind of like this fluffy, you know, soft grandfather, and, you know, he lets you get away with whatever you want and still gives you candy at the end. That's not the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture is the God that we fear and tremble before remember I was at a, a shepherd's conference a number of years ago, and they presented uh, MacArthur with a, a copy of the MacArthur Study Bible in Arabic. And um, there were a couple of people from a Muslim-dominated country who presented it to him, you know, a Muslim-dominated area. And uh, I'll never forget what they, they said. They were talking about just the value of, of having, you know, this, this, this resource in their own language that they could share with people of their, their nation and he says, you know, for such a time as this, you know, when they, they had like this short window of opportunity, you know, uh, where they had some freedom, some religious freedom in the area that they were in. And he says, for such a time as this, when we have this religious freedom, you know, what's, what's dominating the, uh, the, the, the television stations is we have Christian, Christian media that's being, you know, pushed over into our country. And wh- what do we have being taught to our people about the Christian God? He says, What do we have for such a time as this? He says, What do we get? We get the smiles of Joel Osteen. We get the expertise of Joyce Meyer. We get the theatrical performances of of Benny Hinn for such a time as this. He says, You know, for this time, we're being fed these low and pathetic views of God a God that people can't fear and tremble before. And a God who's not worth fearing is not a God worth following. He says, for such a time as this, we have this, this short window of opportunity, and this is the kind of God that they're presenting before us, a God that nobody fears and trembles before. And then they talked about the importance of the, the work of having, you know, a, a right view of God being presented to them and how they were thankful to have this, this resource in their hands. What kind of God are we sharing with people? Like what Spurgeon said, he says, men will allow God to be everywhere. Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. (laughs) You know, we're we're happy with God as long as he doesn't have have that spot. As long as it's not a God that I have to fear and tremble before, I'm, I'm okay with God. As long as I don't have to fear him. We have a God who does as he pleases, only as he pleases, and always as he pleases. And this is the God that we present before you today. There's a God to fear and tremble before, And if you truly fear this God, run to Jesus Christ, because that's the only place of safety from this God. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much for uh, this opportunity, this gracious opportunity uh, that you've given us to look at your Word. Your Word is so rich, so powerful. Who wouldn't fear a God like you? The most high, the most terrible. You are Lord alone. You've made heaven, the heavens of heavens, the earth and all things that are in it. The hands, the, the, every, every soul is in your hands. Father, you are the God who is the living, eternal, unchanging, sovereign, delivering, powerful, universal God. Father, I pray that you give us a greater view of who you are. And even as we think about this text, Lord, that we would think about it in new ways, fresh ways. Ways that we be, would be faithful to the context of the scriptures. Father, I pray that you, Lord, would be uh, pleased to give us a greater vision of who you are. In Jesus' name, we praise you and give you thanks. Amen.
0: You have been listening to George Lawson Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.